I think that we need more builders in the world. We need more leaders in the world. And being a teenager, that's the first time so many people start asking themselves the why questions. Who am I? Who do I want to be? What is this world I live in? What is my relationship with it? And the purpose of Hack Club is to create the most incredible space to explore those questions, become builders yourself, and to build the skills you're going to need for a future. So if the world had more builders, more leaders, like what would be different? What would it look like? Well, I think the first thing is I think we'd stop fighting with each other and we'd start seeing a lot more people creating things. Joe Lonsdale, welcome to American Optimist. Really excited to have Zach Lotta, founder of Hack Club, with us here today. Thanks for having me on the show. Zach, you were a Teal Fellow in 2015, is that right? Yeah. That means instead of going to college, you joined, it was like 30 kids in this, this program in 2015? Yeah. Before you did that, you'd actually found a Hack Club already, or, or what's the history of Hack Club? Yeah, so my story is I, I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Los Angeles, where both my parents were social workers. My dad worked in homelessness, and my mom in foster care. And growing up, I went to good public schools, but like most schools in the country, they didn't teach any computer science classes. But as a kid, I could just never pull myself away from computers. I wrote my first line of code to make a website when I was seven. When I was 12, I got my first 10,000 users. When I was 15, I helped make a game that became the most popular game on the App Store. And when I was 16, and as a teenager, I, I really struggled to find my community. I didn't know any other anyone else that shared my interests. And I ultimately dropped out of high school after my freshman year. Dropped out of high school despite all the stuff you were doing. Yeah. And I moved to San Francisco to become a programmer. And, at, and in San Francisco, after working a few jobs, I started Hack Club to try and create the space and community that I so desperately wish I had when Let's I was Let's dig into that. How did you get 10,000 users as a 12-year-old? What, what were you building? I, I worked on an MMO with some other folks that oh, we launched cool. on the App Store as one of the first MMOs on the, the first iPhone. first massive multiplayer online yeah. games. Yeah. On mobile? Yeah, on iPhone. Yeah. Oh, wow. Very yeah. cool. Do you still hack type these types of things and build these build these things are you into games still yeah not anymore but i'm very inspired by video games i mean I, I think computers and programming as a whole is probably the closest thing we have today to a superpower and it's an it's like the ultimate tool for self-expression I, I grew up in silicon valley and i was like i think maybe nine or ten when i first wrote my first line of code but i was taught by my friends like how, how did you if you didn't have friends around at seven years old how do you figure out how to launch a website oh i mean the internet like Every single person alive today has access to, you know, all of human history and knowledge at their fingertips. And I was just curious. I literally went on Google and I typed in, how do you build a website? And I found some tutorials. That makes sense. I guess when I, I was born in 82 and you're born in 97. So, so I guess I was nine years old in 91. There wasn't, there wasn't quite the internet yet to teach me. I had to have friends. So I guess by the time you were seven years old, mm -hmm. 2004, there was, there's just, you just got on the internet and just taught you how, huh? Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing that makes today such an amazing time to be a teenager and to be a young person. I mean, you have what is better than the Library of Alexandria in your pocket. You can learn anything if you spend the time on it. And that is kind of one of those key ethos that feeds into Hack Club as an organization. So you, so you're near 15, you helped build the number one app on the app store. What was, what, what was that? Cause the MMO was when you were 12. What was the thing when you were 15? Yeah. So when I was 15, when I was 16, I worked on two apps. Uh, one was a game called football heroes. Um, I was part of a small team. I was the youngest and it became the number one game on the app store. We got over a million downloads. Football heroes. Yeah. How'd it work? Um, it was, if you've ever played Tech Mobile, um, yeah. it, it was like a modern remake of Tech Mobile. Did you have the funny iPhone. cheesy music too? Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And power ups and, and the whole and, deal. And 
Oh, yeah. and you had different plays you could choose. And yeah, exactly. It, it was. Oh, I actually cool. had to learn how to play football to work on the game and that's write pretty, some of the game that's logic. That's pretty nerdy. I love it. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> do you ever watch football now or not anymore? No, no not not oh, too much. But but I, I'm inspired by competition. Like I, I think that this idea that humans can do incredible things is very appealing, whether that's writing incredibly complicated pieces of software, whether that's going to space or whether that's incredible athletic feats like that is, you know, we should strive for excellence. How'd you get a million players, which is a really fun game? Did you have a distribution hack you figured out for inviting friends or like what was the thing that made it spread? I mean, the key, the key thing was we got Apple to highlight it on the App Store. And, and I think it was a niche where there were a lot of people who play Tech Mobile who, at the time, mobile gaming was still a pretty new idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we hit that right time, right place thing. And then plus the Apple highlight really yeah, led to, Could you, like, you invite know, friends to play with you? or how did it Exactly. Work? Yeah, it was a multiplayer game. Yeah. Awesome. So you must have made some money from this game then. For me, I was just an employee on a small team. It was three of us total. Okay. Um, but having the experience, you know, making something that millions of people downloaded, that was very empowering. Yeah, as a 15, 16 year old, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and that is really what led me to move to San Francisco and eventually start Hack Club. Got it. And so you, so you started Hack Club at the age at the age of 16. Yeah. And then you joined Tail Fellowship at the age of 17 yeah. while you were doing Hack Club. Yeah. So after a year of working on Hack Club, I, I was one of 20 to receive the Teal Fellowship in 2015, uh, where I received a grant of $100,000 from the Teal Foundation to work on Hack Club instead of going to college. Awesome. You kind of joined a group of 20 people in SF then as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was already in San Francisco at the time. Got it. Did you learn from the other people there? Was that a positive? It was a positive experience overall? Oh, my God. I mean, the Teal Fellowship is an amazing program. I... I'm so incredibly grateful to them for having me as part of it. I think that we one thing you learn from programming is that there's many ways to solve any one given problem. And I think that with education, we have such a narrow view on what it means to be an educated person. You have to go to the right schools. You have to go to the right colleges. You have to take the right classes. You have to get the right grades when really with the Internet, you know, there are a million ways to get educated. And I I felt like the Teal Fellowship really not only for me created a different path, but showed, you know, millions of young people that there's more than one way. Yeah, it seems like a lot of these paths are, it's kind of a lack of courage, to put it nicely. Yeah. Where people are just, you're a little bit afraid and you have to do what you're told in order to succeed. And I I was reading something the other day where everyone at Harvard these days, the the person was arguing are kind of like, they're not very they're not very strong-willed people because they've mm. just done what they were told their whole lives mm. in order to be on the right path. Mm. There's something to that where you're like kind of giving people the courage to explore their own path and explore who they are in different ways. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of Hack Club. And, and I think that the thing that's so hard about education is that it has a million stakeholders. Literally everyone from parents to communities to literally real estate agents have a huge stake in education. And what that means is we end up with a system that's almost like the mean of what everyone wants instead of something that's best for the learner. And I, I think that if, in Hack Club, something that we try to focus on is helping young people not just get started coding, but get super technical with their coding skills. And we take a very individualist approach to learning, and we really encourage people as individuals to take that interest very far. And we build the right support structures around that. Are you kind of identifying different people in different ways and there's different resources depending on who they are for them? Or like, how, how, do you, how do you tailor and make it individualist? Yeah, so Hack Club is a network of between 10 and 20,000 teenage programmers who love making things together. And there's hundreds of in-person Hack Club chapters ran by teenagers for teenagers at high schools around the country and around the world. We're in 38 countries right now. There's an online community where millions of messages are sent every year by teenagers. 
there's dozens of regional events that are ran by teenagers, like hackathons. Got it. So you're empowering the them for how to run their clubs, how to yeah. run these events, and yeah. how to help each other. Yeah, yeah. We're like the nexus that brings everyone together. But there's really two things that makes Hack Club different than traditional education. The first is that Hack Club is built by teenagers for teenagers. There's no teachers in Hack Club. The second is that we're internet focused, which means that we believe that starting 10 years ago, everything changed in education because every young person in the world started having access to all of human history and knowledge in their pockets. Yeah. And I think so much of what we think of as public education today is built to solve an access problem. How do we simply get access to all this different knowledge in front of as many people as possible? Where I think the new challenge of education is one of motivation. We already have access. 50% of the world population is internet today. In the next 10 years, that's going to be 100%. How do we get people to use that to become educated, to become builders, to make things in the world? And Hack Club structured around that problem. That's really interesting. And so I guess you recently had an AMA with Vitalik Buterin, the, you know, obviously the founder of Ethereum. Elon Musk is a supporter of Hack Club. Why are all these people supporting Hack Club? Well, when we talked with Elon, what he said is he believes that there needs to be more builders in the world. And we talked with Vitalik, he talked about when he was in high school, he and one of his friends started what he called a mini hack club at his high school. And that mm. was the first place he learned about Linux, which completely changed his life. I think that we need more builders in the world. We need more leaders in the world. And being a teenager, that's the first time so many people start asking themselves the why questions. Who am I? Who do I want to be? What is this world I live in? What is my relationship with it? And the purpose of Hack Club is to create the most incredible space to explore those questions, become builders yourself, and to build the skills you're going to need for a future. So if the world had more builders, more leaders, like what would be different? What would it look like? Well, I think the first thing is I think we'd stop fighting with each other and we'd start seeing a lot more people creating things. I think we'd see a lot more people building a lot more wealth for themselves. I think we'd see more people building things in their communities that make their lives better on a small and very real scale. I like that. So a lot of the problems we face, if we were to just build, we can probably fix things a lot better rather than just like argue over stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think for something I see when I talk with young people today is that there's a feeling that the frontier has already been settled. Everything that can be built has already been built. Yeah, it's crazy. And, yeah. and I think that that couldn't be, you know, more false, but I see why it's easy to believe that. I was talking with a teenager named Kevin a couple weeks ago who's he's I think he's 14 or 15 now. He's starting a hack club at his high school. He had never written code before he joined hack club. And what he did is his club is there to build things and make their school better. And they just launched their first app four weeks ago. It's called Absent. You can actually download it on the app store. It's the first result when you search for the word absent. And what it is, is it notifies you. They reverse engineer their school's attendance system and it notifies you if a teacher isn't present one day. So you don't go to their classroom and they're not there. They launched it four weeks ago. Within two weeks, one in eight people in their school district had downloaded it and was using it on their phone. And today, I think it's closer to one in four. And I think that's an incredible example. You know, that's a Wait small a problem. It tells you if the teacher's not there, but wouldn't there just be a substitute teacher there if the teacher wasn't there? Not at their school. Oh, that's yeah. unusual. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that what's amazing about that is they're not trying to solve the world's problems. Kevin is solving one problem that he faces for himself in his community, yeah. and it's small. But doing that when you're 15 means that when you're 25, you see larger problems, and you can do that as of well. Of course. I really like that idea of the frontier being really important to culture. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think to me, it comes down to positive sum versus zero sum mindsets, where either if, if we're already at the frontier and we've already built everything, then the last the only thing left to do is to kind of fight over yeah. spoils of what exists. Yeah. So I think people have a zero sum mindset. They're very focused on what other people have, how do I take it from them, how to make it fair. Whereas people have a positive sum mindset rather than trying to take things from others. They're like, how can I create things for myself, which is probably a healthier society. Why do you think there isn't more of a positive sum mindset around the internet? 
It's interesting. I think I think I think you're right. I think if people can't build themselves, they probably don't have they probably don't have the ability to imagine is like what they or their friends could create that could be different. Mm. It is very strange to me. I'm I'm a venture capitalist and I'm a builder, and so I'm constantly seeing all these new possibilities in the biology world that we talk a lot about in this podcast, or you know, with tunnels with Elon Musk to completely change how all of our cities work. I hate traffic. I hope mm. you didn't run into too much coming over here today. But you know, it, it's uh, I think Austin's not too bad yet this time of day. But you know, and, and there's, there's all there's all these other there's all there's all these things in space that are possible. There's all these things with cheap energy. I mean, I think people don't even realize how it's very likely we have very cheap energy in mm. ten or twenty years, and it just completely changes all these possibilities for mm. our world. And let's we can all have our own palaces underground. You know, mm. there's just all these things. There's infinitely or or in the ocean or in space. Mm. And there's just there's uh, there's there's all these new ways you can like hack with the DNA and create things, create new species, create old species. The art is possible. I I think people maybe if you're not exposed to the fact there's all these new possibilities, then you just you just start seeing the world kind of locked in as it is right now. And then I think it yeah, becomes very unhealthy. Well, and I think that's why we need new cultural institutions for young people. Because as a young person today, you're not exposed to these ideas unless you go and seek them out. And I think particularly for folks who might have the inklings of an interest, they're stuck in the same track as everyone else. There aren't you know programs like Hack Club where they can go really yeah, the, yeah, the 19, other people that in the 1950s. People just like, like they're all obsessed with the going to space and mm. science fiction and mm. the future. One of the things Peter Thiel always talked about when I was working with him is it's just like it's strange how our culture is not into science fiction as much anymore as mm. it used to be 60 mm. years ago, which I think is somehow tied to this. Mm. Like the people in Hack Club, are they more likely? To, do you guys read science fiction or share those notes? It seems like that could be culturally useful. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, the, we don't have mandatory reading at Hack Club, but the closest thing we have to it is Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. Awesome. Um, you know, I, I think that the lies we live are so often a result of the stories that we tell ourselves. And I think we need positive stories that make us dream for a better world where we can actually work towards building it. No, I make, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like it seems like something they can push these cultural institutions forward is to somehow get kids interested in like imagining science fiction again and writing about that as well. So it's, I think building and also that probably go together. Yeah, you need real skills. You can't just talk about it. You know, a saying I love in philanthropy and in trying to in the nonprofit world is that if you want to help people, you actually have to help people. And I think the same applies to building. If you want to make things, you actually have to make things. You can't just talk about it. What you're doing is actually really rare, rare Zach, because most people who are really talented programmers and builders, they'll go and they'll create a company and they'll make a billion dollars worth they can, you know, and then they'll use a bunch of the money they make to try to go help things, you know, hopefully. And that that's kind of been more my path as I create companies and I try to use the money also to be helpful. Uh, why do you decide not to go start a company and make a bunch more money first? That's, that's kind of the typical route. And you, you decide you need to do that to start helping people. Because I, I think I'd be out of touch by the time I'd be able to start something like Hack Club and really go after it. I mean, I think Hack Club needed to be started by a teenager. I don't think it would have worked if I started it when I was 25. I think I had to start it when I was 16. And that's because I understood what it was like to be a teenager in the era of the internet better than anyone else in the world because I was living that every single day. That's very interesting. And do you do you make money off Hack Club at all? Is it purely nonprofit? You have to obviously pay yourself. Like, how does it work? Yeah, we're a nonprofit. Everything that we do is free. Um, you know, we pay our staff salaries from donors, usually folks who are either alumni or wish they had something at Hack Club when they were a teenager. Yeah. And we're entirely donation funded. Hackclub.com slash donate. But there's a lot of a lot of founders out there who wish they had this as a teenager to help themselves. It's like a lot of us would have got a much more accelerated youth. I, I kind of did have something like mm. a Hack Club as mm. a kid. Basically, mm. I was lucky to happen to have it. Mm. Amazing. Let's talk about education more broadly mm. in the U.S. I understand that just over 50% of public high schools nationwide offer over one class. My friend 
runs code.org, mm. uh, sorry, off, off more than one computer science class. Mm. You know, why have we been so slow to adapt? Why are only half, you know, half the schools offering computer science and how far behind are we? Well, I think it's really hard. When you look at India, India has this incredible initiative right now to get a makerspace into every single public school in the country. And they've already implemented more than 10,000 of them in the past five years. That is incredible. And we need initiatives like that that foster the hacker mindset here in the US. I think the reason we don't have more computer science classes in schools in this country is because it's frankly really, really hard. You, it's hard to find teachers. It's hard to find good curriculums. If you know how to code, you have the choice between being a public school teacher or making double or sometimes triple your salary. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really hard to get people to know how to code to teach public school. I hear there's been this like shift. My grandma's visiting right now oh, and uh, she's 102 mm. and she was a public school teacher in her 50s until she was 80. Mm. And she's a very, very bright woman. She was very successful supporting someone in business in her youth. But because she was born in 1920, it wasn't really mm. appropriate for women to go into business. Mm. So I feel like public school was basically her like path that she could go on, mm. even, even though she was really bright. I feel like if she was born... 50 years later, she mm. probably would not have been a teacher. She probably would have been a successful business lady. Mm. And so I, I wonder I wonder if we've filtered out, it feels like maybe we need to pay people more or something if we filtered out the path because a lot of smart women who used to go to be teachers are not anymore. Yeah, well, I, I think that one of the biggest things holding back talent inside of schools for teachers, and we also see this in local government too, is there's so much pain associated with being a public school teacher. You have to work with your school administration. There's all these things you have to do besides not serving just administrators. Your students. Yeah. And, and I think that if we made it more pleasurable to be a teacher, and even if we kept salaries the same, we'd see a lot more people pursue that. In the same way where, you know, if you want to be part of your local town's government, something I really saw with my parents was they spent their whole career trying to help homeless folks and trying to help people in foster care. And there's so much you have to go against besides the people that you're serving that you burn out, you don't fix the system, and you might have helped a lot of people, but there's ultimately more people facing those challenges just, by just, the end of your career. Just to ask you about those challenges really quickly, because it's a topic sure. we talk a lot about with Cicero Institute. Like, what, like, are, are there fixes to the system that are obvious that we should be pursuing there? I don't know. I'm, I'm not. No, you know, I'm not an expert. But I, I think the reason why we see so many people flocking to technology is because it's so easy to make things. I mean, literally, if you have access to a computer and to the internet you have access to almost all the tools that the best engineers in the world have access to, and you can start making things as quickly as cloning a repo off of GitHub. That's amazing. That's so fluid. There's very little friction. And I think that if we tried to make the experience of participating in local government closer to that, where there's less friction, or try to make a teacher closer to that, where there's less friction, I think we'd see a lot more people pursue those paths. So go to the teacher's part. What would what, what exactly would make there be less friction for teachers? Is there, is there, are there rules you'd put in to change it? Are you In Austin, I hear we have 2,700 administrators for 5,500 teachers. Mm. A lot of us feel like we could get rid of 80% of the administrators. I, I mean, are, are there other things here to do to fix this? I don't know. Um, I, I My answer with Hack Club is to go completely outside the system. In Hack Club, we don't work with schools. We don't work with teachers. We don't work with school administrators. Just do we it, just only do work with teenagers. And even though we're on an in-person program inside of schools, we only interface with teenagers. It's a very startup mindset. You have this you have this decadent, broken system that's really just moralizing people and just, just build outside of it and just create it from scratch. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the people who work in public education are good people. You don't become a teacher with ill intentions. But it's, I think that it's a bad system in a lot of cases. And I think that you know, one of the reasons why Hack Club works is because when our staff have an idea, we don't need to get 1,000 approvals from 1,000 different people. We go straight to the students directly the following day. And that also means that as you know, a startup nonprofit, we can be much more nimble than if we had to work on a semesterly or on an annual basis. 
one of the one of the shifts you're seeing right now in education, especially with COVID, is a lot of people are going to homeschooling. A lot of people are going to hybrid learning. Is this a big shift in education? And is this is this going to change how Hack Club works potentially? Do you engage with with kids who are outside of the system? Yeah, there's a number of Hack Clubs started by teenagers who are homeschooled, and I think that's amazing. The thing I want to see in the future is I want to see more young people being the owners and the drivers of their own learning. Something that's incredible about the internet is you can become a subject matter expert as a 13 year old without having ever met anyone who lives in that, who works in that field. And I think that we need way more pathways to support people like that. An example of this is I was talking with a hack clubber two months ago named Felix, who has learned the ins and outs. They're 15. They, they live in San Antonio right now. They've learned the ins and outs of the networking protocols that power the internet. And they built as a fun hack, a chat app that uses this protocol called ARP which is part of how computers talk to each other, where you can talk with your friends using just ARP. It went viral on Hacker News. Over 10,000 people have used it. They have over 1,000 stars on GitHub. And that's the sort of thing where you could never learn that in a computer science class. That's only uniquely possible because of the internet. And I think we need to create more opportunities for young people to engage with learning in any subject like that. So given that, what do you think the value of a college degree is today? Who should go to college and who shouldn't? I have no idea what happens in college. I never went to college. I've never taken a college class before. I've never like, I have no idea. But something I see when I hire people for Hack Club and when I interview people is that whether or not someone has a college degree is almost a zero predictor for how good they are as an engineer and how good they are as a designer. What I look at is I look at their GitHub, I look at the projects they've made, and I think that we need to move in that direction. And I think that a college degree is great if it helps you build an incredible portfolio, but if it doesn't, I don't know. I, I started portfolio. You're saying like, what are the projects you've created? And yeah. What, what, you learned? What, what have you made? What have you done? And and the people you're hiring, a lot of them, they're computer scientists as well. And you're seeing what they've built and what they've done. Because are they creating things for Hack Club to learn from, or what are they doing with that? Yeah. At this point, Hack Club serves between ten and twenty thousand teenagers. That's you know larger than many undergraduate programs at universities. And our staff is ten, and our budget's smaller than second grade at an average size elementary school. And what we do as staff is we design very high leverage activities, like we design programs, we write code, we design experiences for Hack Clubbers that then thousands of people can participate in. And we do it entirely open source. Something that makes Hack Club unique is when I was 16 and starting the organization, I decided to make our finances 100% transparent. Oh, and cool. you can see every single penny we spend, every single donation we have. So we operate fully transparently. All the code we write is public, um, except for one repo, but we're going to open source that. And um, and we think that more organizations should be transparent like this. Wow. So it's just an extremely efficient place. So you don't waste any overhead on, on administration. You just you just build substance the whole time. Yeah, we're extremely building oriented. And I think something that's important about Hack Club that we should see in more educational spaces is we try and make Hack Club as an organization and as a set of programs feel very editable. If you're a teenager in Hack Club and you're thinking, I don't like this thing Hack Club is doing or I don't like this experience I'm going through, it should feel like you can change it because if it does, you will feel like an owner as someone participating in the program and you will also start building it too. You know, Hack Club is our staff of 10 people, but there's hundreds of teenagers that put in 20 hours a week every week to make Hack Club possible in their communities. And the fact that Hack Club is led so strongly by teenagers for teenagers, I think makes Hack Club feel relevant year over year because what it means to be a teenager changes. I want to get you to step back and think education policy a little bit. And the reason mm -hmm. I want you to do this is because you've you've clearly created one of the most impressive and efficient education organizations in our country. And you know the theory of a free society that a lot of us talk about is in a free society, the way we have progress is you have ideas and organizations that compete. 
right? So in the businesses that I build in logistics and fintech and in all sorts of areas, uh, if, if they outcompete their competitors, they grow and they take over and people use them and they win. Mm. And so the, the idea is in a free society, you want to be able to have competition where the organizations win and lose. And because because that way, the best ideas win and the bad ideas go away. Part of the problem in education in our society is it's very hard to have a competition of ideas. It's hard for the best ideas to win and the worst ideas to lose. You've managed to achieve a good idea that's winning, but it's very hard to outcompete broken stuff. And so, so one of the things that we're trying to do in education policy in a lot of states is put in mechanisms for good ideas to win and, and, and bad ideas to lose. So one of those mechanisms that a lot of us are pushing for is, for example, giving parents some of the budget they control themselves where they can choose things. So in, in West Virginia, they just passed this, was this big push where they're gonna get a big part of the education budget that they can choose what they want their kids to go to, which could be towards something for something like Hat Club or mm. otherwise. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like what, if, if I know you maybe haven't thought about this a ton, but given that you've built this organization, like what are the ways that we should be able to support having good ideas like this when, and how, how should they be able to outcompete and take resources from broken stuff? Yeah, I think the biggest problem in education is very simple. It's that when you look at all of the different players that make up education for young people, when you look at Pearson, when you look at schools, when you look at school administrators, when you look at the people that set the curriculums for states, I mean, when you look at parents, look at each of these individual parties and you ask, who are they building for? Who is their user? Who is a person that if they fail to serve, they're going to go out of business. Mm -hmm. It's never the student ever. So I think that if we want to actually change things, we need to we need to figure out how to make that person the student. The reason why Hack Club works is because it's opt in. If Hack Club's bad, teenagers don't come to it. We don't have any commitments. If you come to one bad club meeting, you don't like it, you leave. If you join the online community, you don't like it, you leave. That means we have to fight and we have to compete for every single student in the program. Yeah. And I think that it's great to give some of the education budget to parents. But honestly, I think there's a principal agent problem. Give, even, even give to students yeah. better. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, my vision for the future of education is I think the first thing we need to do is figure out how to, when you look at schools as a whole, I think our education from K through six is actually pretty good in the US. And when you look at what students say, every year there's a big survey that's done. It's over a million students are surveyed. And one of the questions asked is, do you like school? From K through about six, the answer is, Usually overwhelmingly, yes. It's like 75% of students say that they like school. But after that, from 6th to 11th grade, it goes down to like 25% of wow. students. And I, I think where between between grades 6 and between grades 12, we need to figure out how to make school take less time overall and give students more options for things to participate in, like Hack Club, where there can be those competitive And that, and that, that would be the competition of ideas where they yeah. choose where they want to be spending yeah. their time. And, and part of the problem with education or one of the challenges is that we have to have a high floor. You know, mm -hmm. everybody needs to learn to read and write. That is important. We all agree on that as a society. Yep. And I think that so much of the challenge of making good schools is we, is we have to juggle this dynamic of having a high floor while also having competitive dynamics. And I think my proposal is two systems. I propose one system that's like normal public school that where you have a high floor, low ceiling. Everybody learns to read and write, but it's hard to go off the beaten path. But that only takes like four hours a day or something like that. And then a long tail model where you know, things like Hack Club, where you participate in things that can take you very far and very deep in your interests, where you as a student are choosing what to do with your time. I love it. It's a great model. Would you ever would you ever get into education policy later and try to help with something like this? I'm more interested in building things. And I think more people should build things. Um, I think policy is important. And I think having good rules is important. And I think having a low friction environment is important. If everyone if everyone who's competent is building things, who's going to be in charge of policy? Hopefully a very small number of people have previously built things. Who previously built things? That's fair. Well, that's what that's one of the things I'm trying to do on the side right now to try mm. to help out. Uh, you know, we started this podcast act to push back against the cynicism and pessimism that's sweeping our country, 
And, you know, there are a lot of young people who are even afraid of the future or they're afraid to have kids. They think the world's broken and heading, headed towards decline. What, what would you say to those people? Well, I mean, if you look at the experience of young people today, young people are hungry. Young people want to build a world that they want to live in. Young people want to do big things that are going to leave a legacy for themselves. And I think that if you aren't hopeful for the future, I think that you need to... Well, I don't know. I, I mean, for me, it's hard not to be hopeful for the future when I talk with hack clubbers because every day I meet hack clubbers who are building things, who are optimistic, who are building a better future for themselves. And I think that so many of the problems we face as humans over the next 20 years, like these are solvable. We just need people with the right problem solving mindset. We need people with leadership skills. We need people in the right networks. We, and, and we need the hacker mindset. You need, need to get more um, need to get more builders in charge of in charge of Congress, in charge of our states, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to see a hacker president. I think that'd be amazing. I think one of the most special things we have in America is this, you know, national myth of like, you know, the misfit who builds the future that they always hope yep. for themselves. I think, you know, we have this idea of the hacker mindset of unconventional problem solvers and technology who are, you know, hacking away at problems, coming up with creative solutions. I think this mindset led to the internet. And I think we need to preserve and grow this mindset to lead to the next 50 years of innovations that we need. That'd be awesome if both parties could get more, more builders in charge of them. You probably can work together to build things and solve them. You know, we talked a little bit about nerds now kind of being cool. That's very different than when I was a kid. Mm. I, th I think that's been a big shift. Yeah. Uh, do you th and do you think programmers, people who care about technology, builders, could, could somehow have more impact culturally? Like, what, what can we do to, to enable that? Honestly, I think the best thing is just to make cool stuff. Um, because when you make something cool, other people around you care about it. Something we consistently see Hack Clubbers doing is making things that are cool in their own communities that other people at their schools use. And I mean, that's the coolest thing of all. Like knowing how to code is the closest thing that we have today to a superpower. And when you are someone who wields a superpower, other people respect you and want to be like you. And it's it's really exciting. And and uh, give us what's the best reason to be optimistic? What would the world look like in 2050 if we have a bunch more builders and people building things? Well, I think the first thing we'd see is a lot of people solving a lot smaller problems. I think if everyone is focused on huge things like climate change, like it, it just feels like you as an individual are totally powerless compared to these huge forces out there. We need people focused on these problems and solving them, but we also need people making their communities better. We need people starting better local businesses. We need people building lots of small things that are good. What, what are some examples of really cool things hack clubbers are making? Give, give me a few more examples. Yeah, um, one cool project was a hack clubber from California and a hack clubber from a pretty rural part of the Appalachian Mountains in Virginia worked together to make a fragment shader programming language. And if you've ever played a game before where you see moving textures on the screen, there's code that's generating that image and that's called a shader. So they created their own programming language to make it easier to write shaders. Um, they released it on Hack Club and on GitHub. And within a week, about two dozen projects have been made using their programming language that were programmed in it from scratch. And like, awesome. I think that is so cool because I think as young people, it's so easy to feel like the world around you is fixed. When you learn to code, you begin to realize that all these digital systems are malleable. And if you realize that the digital systems around us are malleable, you realize that the physical systems are too. That's awesome. Well, Zach, really appreciate you joining. That was a great, great place to wrap it up. Thanks so much. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I, I really you know, appreciate the opportunity to share the story at Hack Clubbers. Mm -hmm.